journeys are important parts of life. But we always have a destination in mind, do we not? I mean, there's very few of us that will just get in the car and just go and not know where we're going. There was probably a time when I would do that. In fact, I remember, uh, this is definitely pre-Alicia. She's, uh, when we have trips, she plans things out. Uh, that is, she does not like surprises by nature. Well, I mean, you all think I just pick on her when I bring her up, you know, trust me. Uh, uh, one, it, it is nothing that if you sat down and asked her anything, she wouldn't tell you. Uh, but two, it, it, it's a lot of truth there. You know, she doesn't like surprises. I remember pre her, uh, I decided I was going on vacation and uh, uh, took, uh, took some time from church and youth ministry. And, and someone said, Well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know yet. And, and I didn't. Uh, I just knew I was heading to Tennessee. I'd never been to Nashville, so, you know, I went to Nashville, and someone said, what else are you going to do? I don't know. And then uh, I think I headed towards Memphis for one day just for the fun of it, and, uh, you know, I was okay with that. Uh, but I still knew exactly kind of where I was headed. You know, I think we have a, a phrase in our culture, though, that used to say that, you know, kind of that Sunday afternoon drive. None of us like to be behind those people. <laughs> but we've got to get it. Because why? Anymore, if you're not doing 60, 65 on 36 on your way to pick, well, somebody else is going to do that. You know? And I've learned just to be okay with that. And I kind of get on the bubble strip so they can at least see what I'm seeing. That semi-trailer coming at us. You know, type of thing. Journeys, though, are important. And sometimes in life we are so focused on the destination that we forget about the lessons learned along the way. And this can be true at Christmas and for us Christians, especially us Christians who maybe have been on this journey of faith for a very, very long time. We so focus on our destination of heaven, that we forget to notice the journey around us. And we can't wait to reach our destination that we kind of check out and are no longer present now. And if you go anywhere, and maybe you'll notice this week, I challenge you, maybe notice, if you're on the path that you always go on, and you, you just go there, even kids that's a school. That bus doesn't change which way it goes. Oh, you're not in school this week. Go figure. What an analogy. You know, uh, where you drive all the time. What if you became intentionally present and noticing everything around you? I knew of a driver's ed instructor who, when they were working with uh, people learning to drive, they would tell them this, I want you to read every single sign you see to me. Oh, that would drive me nuts. Why? To become intentionally aware and present of what is going on. And what if you and I became intentionally present with where we go? What would you see? What would you notice? 
as you're quickly getting to your destination. Advent is a journey of expecting God to show up in our world, and sometimes we get so eager to get to Christmas, we forget to stop and be present on the journey to Christmas. This is where our liturgical church friends sometimes get it a little bit better than we do as Baptists. Because they have seasons tucked in that remind them of the journey to something. Believe it or not, we are about eight weeks to Lent. Okay? Which means Easter's early this year. And the joke among pastors, especially liturgical pastors, because Lent is also Valentine's Day. Ash Wednesday is Valentine's Day. So the question going around online with some liturgical is, do they try to do actions in the side of hearts? Do you sit at, uh, across from your Valentine's Day and says, it's, as ashes, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you shall return? I mean, isn't that a lovely pickup line? Logan, try that. <laughs> Were you awake? No. You didn't even hear what I said, did you? All right, no one tell me. All right? We'll have to figure it out later. See, stay away. Or I'll get another gift for you then. I'll put your name on it. Right. No, you know, and it's those things. But Lent is the same way. It reminds us not to hurry ourselves to Easter. That these, the early church said, were to be times of intentional preparation on the journey of life. And Advent is that journey, expecting God. George. <laughs> It wasn't me. It was my phone. It wasn't me. Do we need to? Do I need to preach on Genesis three, where Eve said it wasn't me? Adam said it wasn't me. You know, the only one who didn't say it wasn't me was the serpent. Go figure. that there would come out of 
it's an interesting, it, it's Balaam's prophecy. A star will come out of Jacob, Numbers 24. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And there was, throughout all of history, going into that very beginning Advent season, there were people who had heard of this, who said, There's, we got to wait with expectancy of something to happen. And some of these people were the Magi, and they remind us how to travel. Now, let me just go ahead and bust a couple of, uh, you know, Christmas maybe traditions. You know, our, ooh, uh, well, he's in the hospital. I won't make fun of him too much. Our, our major scene over here is not biblically accurate, okay? The, the, the wise men really probably need to be back there, okay? And, and then uh, when, when they do show up, the shepherds are already off the scene, okay? The Magi never make it there that night. And sometimes in our rush to get there, we need to understand the patience and the joy of the journey of traveling. We also say three, you know, and we also say kings, of which there were probably three, and they definitely weren't kings. In fact, if we understand the words of Matthew, we, we realize that these were wealthy individuals. You know, these were uh, people who, who had a sense they didn't travel alone. There is a cohort of people. I mean, this was an entourage if there ever was one. I mean, this was a big deal. And we read here in this story, according to the Gospel of Matthew, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We had saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. Now, the great debate, what was the star? Was this, maybe so, the alignment of, of Pluto and Jupiter and the planets coming in? Was this a supernatural supernova? Was this Haley's Comet? Was this... Uh, just a, a temporary, miraculous star? Well, we know this as it goes on. When they saw the star again, verse 10, at verse 9, they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Can I tell you something? This isn't the ordinary star. It may have started that way. As one of the scholars I was reading again this week mentioned, actually, what would be really interesting and very plausible, see, we don't know exactly, and it's probably best we don't know exactly, but there is an idea that maybe this star was actually an angel, because the angels play so much at key points in the Christmas story. That tells them exactly where to go. And you may ask, as I did, how did they, these wise men, these magi, how did they even know about numbers? How did they even know about the coming hope of the Messiah of Isaiah? 
of Daniel. Have you ever thought of that in the Christmas story? See, sometimes in our rush to get to Christmas, we don't actually ask those questions. But see, they had enough understanding, but they didn't know exactly where. Here is my thoughts. It was because of Jews who never returned back to Jerusalem. They were there in the exile, waiting with hope, with expectation of what was to come. And they come. And they share their stories of growing up. And people, religious leaders like these Magi would have been, who understand stars and they understand dreams and they understand, they start to hear some things and then they go, the time is now. And they go on their journey, a possibly up to a two-year journey. Reminds me of the old uh, sitcom. Some of you are too young, others of you are not. Gilligan's Island, a three hour tour. It turned into a whole lot of the three hours. They just knew they were headed. They may have gotten enough information. They're heading over to Israel, to Judah. No wonder they go to Jerusalem, because if a king was to be born, that was it. But see, we read these words in the time of King Herod. And what was interesting is a Roman leader at the same time <coughs> said this about this Herod. It would be better to be his pig, which is hus in the uh, Greek or Hebrew, hus, than his son, huios. Okay? Because at this time he had ten wives. And each of those wives had kids. And if you know anything about kings, you know they come down from one of the kids, the sons. Can you imagine the sibling rivalry going on in that house business? Yeah. Logan, can you imagine having to fight your way? Now, you just give up, let one of them take it over? Sure. But see, to do that means they're going to kill you. Can you imagine? I mean, Rusty, I know you had a little bit of baby fighting at your house, maybe when you weren't and Carol weren't there. Can you imagine the three of them fighting over who gets the keys to the kingdom? Yeah, you were glad there's someone right there. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah. All right, that's what's going on here. And then this is at the end of Herod's life where, that by all accounts of the first century, he was getting a little cuckoo. And everyone is anticipating that something big is going to happen. And now all of a sudden you've got this entourage come in and they go to the seats of power, authority, and they say, we have come, where is this king of the Jews? And here it goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, someone was born, I didn't know about this? And here it wasn't really a Jew. So he has this idea of, uh-oh, the real ruler has come on the scene. I'm about ready to get kicked out. Which actually happened once before in his life reign and rule. There was people from the east who came and caused enough trouble that he goes to the west, Rome, to say, save me. And Rome, because they don't want another fight on their hands, said, okay, we'll save you. And then Hero tries to please the people by building a temple, 
but it doesn't actually get completed for another close to 70 years. He installs religious leaders in places of power, and he tries to do what he can by the age-old way of bribery, money, stuff, and the things of this world. And it is no wonder then, on this journey of Advent, the wise men come and they say, where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? We've seen it. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. The rest of Jerusalem was disturbed because this may actually mean something different for them. And they weren't signing up for that. See, sometimes in our journey of Advent, we, we, we want hope, we want peace, we want joy. But you know what? We don't want to actually do anything different. And sometimes it is better, as the saying goes, to know the demon that is in us than what we do not know that is without us. And we will stick with what we know, even if what we know is not good, until we finally hurt enough that we will go where else this is no longer working. See, the wise men started on that journey. And they go there. And then we read that the scholars get together and they say, we, we figured this out from the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, the wise men come, and they have more knowledge than those who are right there. No different knowledge. But they are wanting to figure out who this is. Herod has the knowledge at his fingertips but never seems to do anything with it. He's the one who doesn't ever want to go on the journey. And he calls the wise men the magi to himself and he says, here's the information. Have you ever wondered why Herod did it himself? Here's my answer. I can't prove it. Herod's scared. And if he allows the religious leaders to hear what he's going to say, they may start hoping too. If he allows others in that room, they may get a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of peace. They may sit there and go, ah, his days are about over with. He doesn't want anybody else to know what he knows. And he hopes these people from the East will not know who he is. And so he tells them the information and says, go, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. And I'm maybe getting a little cynical in my medium age. Or I just want to say, yeah, right. After they heard the king, verse 9, 
they saw the star. They were overjoyed, or as one translation says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. When have you ever been overwhelmed with joy? Let alone with joy. When have you ever been overwhelmed with what God has done? See, part of me thinks, man, how, how neat of these, uh, of these magi, because they remind us that it's not how we start that matters as much as how we finish. They could have given up when they got to Jerusalem. We tried, but we didn't quite get there. But they come out and God says, no, I don't want you just to start the, the path, the journey. I want you to finish and finish well. And so they go. And they find out they were just eight miles off. That's still a day. Anybody who's been on a journey knows that if you're delayed, you go, oh, another day. I don't know how many times, especially with Eliana, you know, we're almost there. And she's like, oh, and just for the fun of it, because I'm her father, I say, only about 20 more hours, sis. And she goes, ah. And then she goes, you're gone. Glad you know it's not 20 hours. And then there have been moments on our journey where she finally sees something that reminds her of the glimpse of the fact that we are almost there. And she goes, all right. And I wonder if this Advent season, we need to be overwhelmed with joy because we see God break through again and again and again. We get a glimmer of joy. We gotta go, we want, we gotta stop, and we gotta go, wow, we're almost there. And how many of us sometimes, myself included, we just go, oh, when will you show up, Lord? How long, oh Lord, until you come back? I'm done with this place. And maybe we need to hear the words of Revelation that remind us of that when he says, just a little while longer. And any time I read that in Scripture, my mind always goes to another place that reminds me that a little while longer with Jesus, that a day could be like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. But i got to have when I'm noticing the presence of joy when God breaks in, like the, the wise men, the magi, whatever you want to call them, they see the star and they go, wow, we're on the right path. But if you're so focused on where you're going, you never see that sign. You never see the signs. And this advert sees the unexpected journey of joy means you gotta stop and notice. You gotta be open to new information. They finally find out it's Bethlehem, but then they see the star, and it isn't just the city or the village of Bethlehem, but that star, that angel, goes right over the house where Mary Joseph is, the child Jesus. Where is the Lord leading you? How are we going to finish strong? I ask you to do two things as I wrap up. One, experience the joy of Christ. 
They were overwhelmed with joy. And on coming to the house, they saw the child who was Mary, Mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped. I don't think they really knew the full extent of what this worship was going to look like. They thought they were paying homage and worship to a new king. They forgot that he wasn't just a new king, he was the king of old, the king of all. But they got it. How many times, though, we don't get it? And then, being warned in a dream, God shows up again. They go back to their country and other way. They experienced the joy of Christ. They didn't just experience the joy of Christ. They expressed the joy in giving. See, we experience joy, then we must express joy. And giving. They gave gifts. There's a story, um, an old story, and you may remember it. I, I read part of it this week, and I can't remember the title. Old story about two young lovers. Young people, they didn't have much money. The wife, though, had beautiful, beautiful, long, long hair. Story says all the way down to the knees. It was really the magnificent quality that she had. The husband had this wonderful gold watch. Thought all they had to their name. And it's coming to Christmas, and they both are trying to figure out. I'm paraphrasing, so please don't hate me too much. They're trying to figure out what do they get their other one. It's, it's the same thing Alicia and I do every year. What do I get her? I mean, she needs a lot. She puts up with me. So, you know, she doesn't already have everything, Calvin, because she has me. I know that's how you feel about, you know, Yvette, but she has everything she needs with you. Oh, oh, it was the other way. Okay, yes, yes, that's more true. You know, uh, you know, what do you get? One of them. They sat and they wandered and they went and finally the woman, the, the wife, she figured it out. If I cut my hair to a bob and I sell it, I can buy him a little chain for that watch. Oh, he'll love it. It'll go great. And so she puts her plan into action. And he, the young man, the young husband, says, oh, what can I get my wife? I got it. I will go sell my golden watch. And I will get her seashells and a comb for her lovely flowing hair. And so they each put their own thing into action. And as the moral of the story, the author says, and in their love for one another, they sacrificially gave the gifts that no longer could be used by the other. And so it is with the gifts of men. They express their joy in giving. And you say, what happened to those gifts? Well, they both were on another journey. And God always provides for the journey ahead. Always. The gift you get today may supply the journey for tomorrow. 
we read later on in the Gospel of Matthew that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to go to Egypt. How do these two present four new we wed and new parents afford that journey? Frankincense, myrrh, and gold. You know, we can overly symbolize what those two, three things mean. I think what Matthew is saying, it doesn't matter what meaning we try to get to those, God provides for the journey ahead. And so, He will for you and for me. So I ask two things of you this day. What is God saying to you today? What, what is the Spirit of God saying today? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to his people. What is God saying? Second, who needs to hear this story? That you know. Who needs to hear what the Lord is saying this day? Because if you live from here and you don't answer those two questions, here's what should happen next. There's a pastoral relationship between them. Okay? They could, they could recommend it. Okay? If you don't answer those two questions, pastoral relations committee should fire me. Because it's not about the words spoken here. It's not about the experience in this place. But if we don't go out those doors and we start to share the journey of Christmas, it doesn't matter what we do on a Sunday morning or Wednesday morning. Because, see, Matthew starts his book, wherever my Bible is, Matthew starts his gospel with the fact that all the ends of the earth come to Jesus. He ends his gospels with saying to the church, the early Christians, the Jews, say, now you... Go out into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in, my, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. If all we do is gather and we go, well, that was kind of nice, he went a little long, I'm not sure he knows what he's doing, and then leave, and that's it, guess what? We have failed to be the church, and we failed the journey of Christmas, the journey of Advent, and there will not be any hope, there will not be any peace, there will not be any joy, and we can go with Longfellow who went in the words, there is no joy on earth, I say. For Hades strong and mocks the song of peace on earth that will to men. And that is an easy life. That is the life of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to come that you may have life and life as it was meant to be. And so to do that, we must go. So what is the Spirit saying to you? Who are you going to talk about? Listen. If you don't do those things, we will miss the joy. And we will no longer be able to be overwhelmed with joy. We'll get to the things, but it won't last. And then, if we run the risk of being like Herod, the religious leaders of the Matthew story, but throughout the story, they knew it. They saw it. 
They experienced it, but it didn't do a thing. May that not be us this day. We pray for you, Father God, and ask that you just help us to not miss you, not miss the stirring of Advent of Christmas, not miss the joy that can be present. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to help us to see you and to be overwhelmed with your joy, that we would be present to your joy, so that in all ways we may express that joy as you did in giving. And for God so loved the world that he came. And may that be true of us this day. Lord, I ask that you be with us as we continue to worship through singing and living this out this day. And we can do so under your power, your guidance, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, who will guide us in all things. Lord, we thank you, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able, please stand.